I feel like I had a question when we were talking about our last cold open, but then I lost it and I thought it'd be a good talking point. Does it have to do with wisdom teeth? Because we just talked for no, like... we've talked so much about teeth, I can't 45 even... 45 minutes on our Instagram live about it's, wisdom teeth. I literally, during my... We, we always do an Instagram live, if you didn't know, between recording episodes. A we, few people we, join and hang out. It's yeah, great. A couple people hang out. We usually try to like let you know over Instagram live, hey, we're going to do this thing. So please come join us. But this one... <laughs> like wisdom teeth out you probably very heard this i'm beating a dead horse but i got my wisdom teeth out and i'm on day six and my husband josh who you know who we contract he, for who <laughs> used to do our intro time. until we fired him yeah and then we got a new intro brought some taco bell from leah and i and i'm eating this burrito obviously very slow taking little chunks of it and making them into manageable pieces to avoid me just hunkering down on it. And then I find out Leah has been waiting this entire time <laughs> for me to finish this burrito. So we could start recording the episode. I had no, I thought we, we I mean, we this were in my episode, so maybe I could have eaten it in the background. We were just vibing on the stream. It was fine. We were vibing with the strutters, man. It's, that's all good. Yeah. Shout out to the strutters crew for always showing up to our Instagram live. You guys are the best. They're the only ones who show up. It's fine. <laughs> that's right i'm happy to have him well i'm bethann and i'm leah and this is she will rock you where are they getting a dub in a cbs executive meeting no bitch don't touch my thermostat <laughs> the ghost be like pull up before i haul you let me turn down the thermostat this is bad we're on page one guys <laughs> this is she will rock you we need a new like interlude sound because it, it just fades out that's all it does no no then it's dead it's now <sighs> that's what it is i forget what the quotes even are that you pulled for them i pulled them from our like two most recent episodes because those are what i had i was gonna say locally. one of them but i forget what they were so <laughs> oh i think one of them is <sighs> we're on page one guys that's one. Oh, we're on page one, guys. And one then, of them has to do with a CVS, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, who brings a dove to a CVS executive <laughs> yes, meeting? That's what it was. <laughs> Not relevant to this episode at all. We have no notes for this one, no. so I will I will preface this with this is going to be a shorter episode. We're talking about Blondie today. I love Blondies. Not the cookie brownie thing. Oh, the artist the artist they don't have a whole lot going on i don't mean that in a negative way uh we'll talk about it they broke up for a while but the other downside to doing research on them is their two main members are hella private and there's nothing on them like you'll see uh so let's meet the members of blondie we have player one and player two Player one is Debbie Harry. Uh, Debbie Harry was born as Angela Trimble mm. on July 1st, 1945 in Miami, Florida. She was adopted at the age of three by her adoptive parents, Richard and Catherine Harry, who were gift shop proprietors in Hawthorne, New Jersey. Oh, dang. What a way to grow up. I, I've been to Hawthorne, New Jersey. Are there a lot of gift shops there? Um, it's been a while since I've been there. 
Apparently they are because that's what they did. Oh. Uh, and they renamed her Deborah Ann Harry. Uh, her parents renamed her? Yeah, her adoptive like, parents. They pretty, oh, her adoptive parents. At age parents. three, which I feel like is confusing for a kid. Yeah, it's kind of like, just stick with the name they got because they're like their memory functions are now just developing and here they're thinking they're a Trimble and now they're a well, they're, Debbie. She thought her name was Angela. It's not not even close. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's not a that's not a good foster parent move. But whatever. That's or adopted parent Adoptions move. worked in 1945. Uh, she learned. I don't know how this works. I guess she didn't remember it happening, but she learned at four years old that she was adopted. I don't know how she wouldn't have known that our three-year-old's memory is really that bad i don't know how that works yeah. but well i mean the fact that she was all of a sudden debbie or deborah that might have something to do with it yeah uh we were not using trauma-informed care and in foster to adopt yeah. situations <laughs> in 1945 uh or 1947 at this point uh, in the late 1980s, she actually wound up locating her birth mother, who was a concert pianist. Oh. So music runs in her genes. And her mom just, and her just decided not to establish a relationship. It was just something that, it was kind of like, hey, I figured out who my birth mom was. Okay, I'm done. I don't really need to explore this any further. She just, yeah. So. All right. Uh, she has recently written a memoir, which I really want to read, but it was really expensive to buy on Amazon to have it here in time. So didn't get to read that, but she describes herself as being a tomboy and just spent a lot of her childhood playing in the woods next to her house, which same, mm-hmm. uh, as many, many people on this show do. She started singing in her church choir, mm-hmm. the typical way she went to Hawthorne high school she then went on to Centenary College, where she got an Associate of Arts degree, which was pretty cool. And then she decided to move to New York City, where she didn't really like know what she wanted to do. She wanted to go into entertainment, yeah. maybe music. Um, she worked a couple of jobs before she got her feet you know, on the ground. She worked at the BBC Radio's New York office for a year. Mm-hmm. She then became a waitress at Max's Kansas City, which is the stupidest name for a bar I've ever heard in New York City. She was then a go-go dancer in Union City, New Jersey, and a Playboy bunny. Hmm. Good for her. Versatile resume. Yeah. Gave her a lot of life experience that would come in handy later. Um, And then we'll leave her for a little bit is in the late 1960s, she started her musical career for real as a backup singer for the folk rock group the Wind in the Willows. The Wind in the Willows. I love it. Not the worst name we've ever heard. No, that's a that's a decent one. So player two is Chris Stein. And you know how I said it's really hard to find information on these two? Mm-hmm. Well, it's really just because of Chris. His Wikipedia page is the only really source of about his life. And it has two paragraphs on it. One oh. about his previous life before the band and one about when the band broke up. So all I can really tell you about Chris Stein is he was born to Jewish parents in Brooklyn. Okay. He grew up in Brooklyn. Okay. He went to high school in Brooklyn. Okay. But he got expelled from high school because his hair was too long. It's about right. That's all I know about Chris. It's about right. Pre-Blondie. So, you know, it's the 70s and late 60s, early 70s in -hmm. New York. Young Chris Stein is like, holy shit, music here is amazing. 
I need to be a part of the music scene in New York City. So he decides he wants to be in a band. So he joins a band called the Stilettos. Not a bad name. Not terrible. In 1973, as their guitarist, um, and the band's vocalist happened to be Debbie Harry. She mm-hmm. had moved on from the Wind in the Willows. And they just started dating because nothing can ever go wrong when you date your band member. Nope. Hold we've up. learned that on every episode we've done. Hold that thought for later. Uh, they played exactly two shows with the band name Angel and the Snake. Oh, I don't like that one. They didn't either. Um, they they changed it, like I said, after literally two shows under that name. Because while they were, you know, driving back and forth from rehearsals and stuff, Debbie got a lot of Hey Blondie by truckers at the gas station. Mm. So they named the band Blondie, which knowing that actually makes me hate their name. Yeah. But they use it to their advantage because there were not a lot, if any, female fronted groups in their music space, which is we'll we'll talk about their sound in a second. So the band goes through a lot of changeover really, really fast because it's really hard to find good bandmates, I guess, in New York City. And so Chris and Debbie were joined by a drummer named Clem Burke, which is I don't like his name, but Mm -hmm. and bass player Gary Lockman. And those four end up getting a regular bar gig. And in June of 1975, they ended up recording a demo in a studio. And it gets them like some attention, not a whole lot. I mean, New York City isn't really known as the hotbed of musical talent. Like at this point, you're New going, York City? You're going to LA or you're going to Nashville. No, I mean, New York City, though, has its own unique scene. It's, it, it's known for its underground. Yeah. That's where New York shines. And they, But they wanted to be famous. Yeah. It was not the fast route to fame. Let yeah, me tell no, you. New York City is not the fast route for we that. We will get... They took them a very long time to get to the level of the success that they wanted. Um, but Debbie, specifically herself, gets the attention. I think if they had been fronted by a man, they would have never made it anywhere. Because they yeah. had nothing setting them apart. But the fact that they were fronted by this beautiful blonde bombshell of Debbie... Um, she got a lot of attention because she just had this stage presence uh, where she just looked effortless. She wasn't up there strutting around like a Mick Jagger or like thrusting her pelvis in everyone's face like Elvis. Like she just stood there and sang and like was attractive and it worked for her. Um, So while you're talking, I've realized I've never seen a picture of her. She's beautiful. Or the band. So that's why I'm on my phone. Yeah, she's beautiful. Oh yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Well like like this look right here is like it's a model look. Yeah, she I mean she's a Playboy bunny. Yeah. She's beautiful. Okay. It all it's all coming in. Um okay. so they they get like attention but not the attention that they were like really looking for. Yeah. So they decide that they need to kind of add to their sound and they add a keyboard player. His name's Jimmy Destry and that gives them enough notoriety or whatever you need to get signed to get signed yeah by a label called private stock records which i only put in here because that's a dumb name <laughs> don't think they survived. we only talk about the dumb things yeah <laughs> i don't care if it's capital records okay cool they got signed but me private Le- stock records me and leah's talent is pointing out things that are dumb yes that is literally my favorite thing to do uh so they record their first album which creatively is called blondie and it drops in 19 December of 1976 and didn't do super hot. Um, and so they said, okay, private stock is not for us. They ended up 
somehow coming up with the money to buy out the rest of their contract. Uh huh. Don't know where they found that money and signed with a British label called Chrysalis Records, which has a cool name. I like that. Not going to shit on that one. And so they ended up re-releasing Blondie on this British label and it gets picked up by Rolling Stone and they said that the album was an eclectic collection of songs comparing it to Phil Spector and The Who. And they pretty much just said that the only two strong points were the way that it was produced and the persona of Debbie Harry. Other than that, it's just kind of... It's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that episode, uh, episode, God, that issue of Rolling Stone said about Debbie, and I'll quote, she performed with utter aplomb and involvement throughout, even when she's portraying a character, uh, she's consummately obnoxious and spaced out. There is a wink of awareness that is comforting and amusing, yet never condescending. It also said that she was the professor of a bombshell zombie voice that can be get, that can sound dreamily seductive and woodenly masonite within the same song, and when they say that they're comparing her to Charles Manson, the mass murderer. Oh, so that's cool. Nice. Um, but she does have a very non-expressive way of singing, which sounds weird. Like normally you want people to be expressive, yeah. but she's just got this very like, I'm too cool to emote for you. I'm here. And this is what I'm going to sing like. Yes. And that's what it is. That's exactly how she sings. She just like, and she's beautiful. So she's like commanding all the guys attention. Yeah. And it it works for them. Um, And then we have our first instance of a band making it in Australia before they make it anywhere else. Okay. This has never happened on this show. Um, So the, the first time they ever really get a taste of fame i guess is in australia in 1977 there was uh the australian version of like an mtv countdown accidentally played the wrong video so they were supposed to play the single track the a side x offender mm-hmm. which had a video the b side in the flesh also had a video and they ended up playing in the flesh on accident and something that's interesting about these songs that I, I listened to them both because I'd never heard either one of them. Uh, they're Bondi's known for their pop sound, like not the pop sound, their punk sound, yeah. their punk scene. These songs have a very vintage, like sixties girl group sound to them. They're very interesting. That is interesting. Um, but X offender was considered too crazy and aggressive to become a hit. And in the flash was like the calmer song, even though, by today's standards, they're both calm. Yeah. By Blondie's own punk standard, they're yeah. both calm. Um, but the the VJ just got them mixed up and they still talk about it and they still thank the DJ or VJ to this day for playing the wrong song because something about that just blew them up in Australia. They ended up getting um, some gigs opening for Iggy Pop and David Bowie. Their song... In the Flesh eventually hit number two in Australia. They had their own successful Australian tour, uh, but the tour kind of has some bad history underneath it. Um, It ended up leading to them. They had to cancel one of their shows in Brisbane. 
because Debbie Harry got sick. Like mm-hmm. you can't perform when your lead singer's no, sick. You can't. And people rioted because they canceled their show. Oh, please. And it, it ended up being the only show that Blondie ever canceled in their entire history, but they couldn't handle it and rioted. So that's why we can't have good things. Yeah. Just suck it up. They'll come back. Uh, so all this gave them enough like momentum and money to release their second album in 1978 called Plastic Letters, which there's nothing like super notable to note here except for the fact that this whole time that they were touring and doing their first album, like they went through a lot of bassists and a lot of drummers and a yeah. lot of just other band members. So they finally at this point stabilized with a lineup and this is what's considered their iconic lineup. So I just want to point them out. We have Frank Infante on the second guitar and backing vocals. Jimmy Destry is still hanging around on keyboard. We added in Nigel Harrison on bass and Clem Burke left the band for a while and then came back and he's like their drummer. Okay. So they did the second album it was okay. They didn't really go anywhere. And they were like, okay, let's let's release a third album and see how this does. Well, that third album is called Parallel Lines. And this is the one that skyrockets them to success in being synonymous with the late... What year are we in now? It's 80s, right? Well, yeah, we're in the either late... It's got to be 79 or 80. Because okay. their second album was 78. So this includes the probably most well-known Bondi song, Heart of Glass, which was actually a song they'd been performing since they formed the band in the Uh 70s. They never put it on a record. They said, hey, maybe there's something here. They ended up reworking it and adding in these rock and reggae and disco influences. And it worked. Like, it went crazy they later said that it was inspired by the bg staying alive <laughs> which <laughs> see yeah. they needed to wait to release that song till they heard that song because that's on what was that 19 that's like near the end of 70s yeah it wouldn't have been when they formed yeah because disco is mid to the end 70s um but they did have to wait because so burke who's their drummer tried to emulate the staying alive drum beat which as we know is the perfect beat to do cpr to yes um and debbie and chris were the primary were the primary songwriters but they actually credit jimmy dustry the keyboardist with this song being the way it is because he took the time to learn synthesizers ah the moog the moog our friend the moog and none of them were it was really early in the synthesizers craze. We're not even to the the real 80s use of synthesizers yet. Um, so thanks, Jimmy, for learning how to use a synthesizer. Helped a lot. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't be this famous. Uh, but with all good things, they got accused of selling out. Yeah. Well, the punk scene, like, once you touch, once you touch fame, you are a sellout. There's no way around it. But that's all they ever wanted. They made a music video for this, which she's... Ow, my foot fell asleep. In which Debbie is playing her stiff, disinterested persona. And something about this video and this song set her apart from the rest of the band to where she started getting attention and the rest of the band didn't. 
But that was going to happen. It's what happens when you have a front person, male or female. In the 80s, yeah. Especially when she's a pretty blonde female. Like, they're not going to pay attention to the rest of the band. That's... But the other band members didn't like it. Yeah. They felt like they were being ignored. The public didn't care about them, which... The only band that did not happen to is Fall Out Boy. Because everyone (laughs) went for Pete once. Yes. I always forget. Not Patrick Stump. I can't even remember Patrick Stump's name half the time. Like, (laughs) he's not relevant to this band. No, it's all Pete Wentz. It's all Pete Wentz. Uh, I remember when everyone had a crush on Pete Wentz. Those were the days. (laughs) Well, I was was too cool to have a crush on Pete Wentz. Once they went past Sugar, we're going down swinging. They were too mainstream for you? It was too mainstream. It was too mainstream. Anyway, so the band's just mad that Debbie's getting all the attention and they're not and it's just cause it's the beginning of the tension that will ultimately blow up the band but we're not there yet so they also released call me off of that album which was grammy nominated and fun fact was originally written for stevie nicks to sing Ooh! but somehow it ended up on blondie's plate over stevie who would have been solo at this time so that's interesting so Call Me was originally written and recorded to be the title theme of the Richard Gere movie, American Gigolo. This. That has nothing to do with the rest of their career. I thought it was weird. It did spend six weeks at the number one spot, though. So people in 1980 probably got really tired of hearing that. In November of 1980... They released their fifth studio album, which is called Auto American, and it contains their next two number one hits. One is The Tide is High, which I have to confess, I only really knew because of the Lizzie McGuire movie. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> I that was think, the best movie. I don't think I've ever actually heard the Blondie version until I did this research. I've only heard the Atomic Kittens version. <laughs> uh, but I didn't know that, that Blondie actually covered it. It's a song from 1967 written by John Holt of the Paragons. Okay. Whoever that is. Sorry, John Holt. So they covered it. And then... And then Atomic Hits. Atomic Kittens covered it. And they also released Rapture from this album, which was the first song ever to reach number one that featured rapping. So go Debbie Harry. She was the first charting rapper. Nice for her. And this album does really, really well because they were pretty hot at the moment. But it's a weird, weird album because, like, Tide is High has reggae influences. Rapture has rap and hip-hop influences. Right. Europa is instrumental. It's completely instrumental. No one sings. Faces is inspired by jazz. And then randomly follow me from the Broadway show Camelot's on this. What? Like. Why? They just played genre roulette i don't understand there's no reason like i can't find any reason why it was such a random those are like i'm gonna throw my hot take those are my least favorite albums because people have done that before where it's like we're gonna do a little bit of this a little bit of that i like a story i like consistency or just pick a theme yeah pick a theme if you have an idea fantastic save that for next project there's no reason the game is longevity there's no reason to take all your ideas and put in one shitty album spread it out and make six mediocre albums get money yes if they had done that they may have survived a little longer yeah 
but yeah uh so they're super hot at this time it's the 80s we like synths we like the tide is high yeah uh so they're so hot that they catch the attention of andy warhol okay our buddy who really wanted to capture debbie harry's photo because that's the way he was he ended up creating like he did a photo shoot at the factory which was his studio and he created a series of four acrylic and silkscreen ink on canvas portraits of her in the different colors you know classic warhol style um and did some polaroids of her and did silver gelatin prints i have no clue what that means but it sounds cool and the cool thing about like their relationship is at the time Debbie Harry and Chris Stein are still dating and Chris Stein himself is actually a really talented photographer. Yeah. He's won several awards. So he was there the day that Warhol was photographing Debbie Stein was photographing Warhol photographing Whoa, Debbie. That's cool. So he has like his own series of Warhol portraits doing his Warhol thing. Yeah. And he actually uh, displayed them in an exhibit in London in 2013. That's really cool. So that's yeah. Um, the two stayed really good friends, Debbie Warhol, Debbie Warhol, Debbie Debbie Harry and Andy Warhol stayed really good friends. Um, I guess in the eighties, Andy Warhol had a show on MTV, did not know this, was not alive in the eighties called Andy Warhol's 15 minutes. And Debbie Harry was the first person that he ever invited to be on the show with him. That's interesting. It's when he announced that the theme, she was like, the person at the top of the episode that announced the theme for the episode, which was sex, vegetables, brothers and sisters. Oh my God. That's not a good title. That's, that's Warhol. Sex and brothers and sisters should not be in the same sentence. And vegetables. Well, the vegetables I can forgive. No. Um, so yeah, this is just the only really appropriate place to insert that Chris Stein is really a, like acclaimed photographer because He's like one of the only people that documented the early New York City punk scene. Okay. So he even back then was carrying around a camera and documenting these things. So he alone has thousands of images. That's cool. Which I would love to see them in a gallery somewhere because that has to be super cool. Yeah. Um, And props to him for thinking of the fact that it needed to be documented because it's a good thing. It was not the era of cell phones. Right. Okay, so they were super, super successful from 1978 to 1980, but in 1981, they took a little bit of a break. Debbie goes and works on her solo album. Mm-hmm. Chris goes and works on his solo album. Their drummer, Clem Burke, went to Europe to play drums on Eurythmics' debut album. Okay. Um, they all kind of come back together. Harry, Debbie Harry and Chris Stein and their keyboardist uh i forget his first name because i only wrote last name down but they ended up coming together to work on a film score for the movie polyester around this time debbie harry is also exploring acting which i didn't recognize any of the movies she was in i wasn't alive in the 80s to tell you how big they are but they're not like your iconic yeah 1980s movies yeah that's where they usually start like like a lady gaga she had to start small yeah. And then she got a star is born. Yes. So she did a couple 
projects here and there. She never became like super famous for acting. Um, just did a couple projects. Um, I don't know if I put it in here later or not. I think it is later. There's one role that you may recognize. Um, but they ended. They took that whole year off to do their own thing. They come back in 1982, release an album called The Hunter. It did not do well. Like their last two albums were hot. The, mm-hmm. This was not the opposite of a success. Um, they did. They tried to do a brief tour, um, but things got weird. They ended up having to like replace some of their musicians. I don't know if it's because they were fighting. I'm going right. to infer that it was fighting because they do break up pretty soon after this. Um, they ended up having to cancel the tour in the middle of the tour. That's never good. Because the venues weren't filling up. Like it just wasn't a good tour. Yeah. And so everyone's mad at each other. They're mad because everyone's look paying attention to Debbie Harry and not them. They're mad because their their album didn't sell well. They're mad because they're replacing people. Mm-hmm. So they break up. Um and the the thing that like pushed them to break up is Chris Stein got diagnosed with a life-threatening illness called oh, fuck. pemphigus. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Okay. Uh, which is a blistering autoimmune disease that affects the skin and mucous membranes. Basically, you break out in blisters from head to toe, which sounds incredibly painful. Yeah. And it can kill you because you're, you're just swollen. Um, and Chris and Debbie are still dating at this time. So okay. The band breaks up. Debbie says, I'll take care of Chris. Um, But there's a problem. Chris is also a drug addict. So Uh, they, you know, things are not looking good for the band. They break up. They cancel their European tour. They try to hide it from the public for a little while. Because you you think, you know, maybe we'll get back together. Right. They hide it. Maybe we're just working through something. Yeah. They hide it from August to November, and then in November they publicly announce it. Um, so Debbie moves in with Chris, and they decide to like be off the grid for a little bit and just focus on, t- you know, being together yeah. and taking care of each other. Um, she keeps playing with the acting stuff a little bit during this time. She releases a solo album. Uh, this is where her only role that I recognize is. She played Velma Von Tussel in the 1988 version of Hairspray. Oh, really? Which was not a musical. Yeah. I feel like Hairspray, the whole point of it is to be a musical. Yeah. It, I watched a clip from it. It was weird. Um, I've seen clips of it, the original one. It's strange. The costuming is a choice. But wait until we tell Gen Z that John Travolta was it i love the movie version of hairspray i love the movie i have nothing against the movie version but i just always thought it was interesting that john travolta played the mom i love that i know historically that's what happens but yes i loved it so much um but things start to get a little rocky for harry and debbie she ends up he's you know doing a bunch of drugs yeah she has to sell their five-story mansion to pay off the debt that both he had run up and the band. Um, he owed about a million dollars on top of continuing to spend money on drugs. And the band 
obviously didn't do well on their last tour so they had some people they had to pay yeah and so that was kind of the final straw she said we're done she broke up with chris moved away from him and later has confessed that she was kind of going through a breakdown at the time through Mm. all the stress which understandable yeah that's that's totally fine like that's a normal response um so then everyone just kind of disappears from record for 10 years like i can't find anything other than debbie harry during her solo stuff which isn't necessarily super remarkable like kind of like you said with tina turner she did an album yeah she toured she did an album she toured she was in a movie uh that just kind of goes around for 10 years um but the punk grunge scene of the early 1990s is starting to take effect and they start attracting new blondie fans because bands like garbage and no doubt were drawing their influence from debbie harry and blondie and so they think hey maybe we should get back together again and so in 1996 chris and debbie try to reunite original blondie with the original members some of them didn't want to join back, so they ended up replacing them, but um, they did at least reconvene for three live performances in 1997, mm-hmm. and then they had some some replacement musicians. 1997? Yep. Okay. They went on a tour in 98 and 99, and then they released a couple more albums, but nothing ever touched the level of yeah. fame that their 1980s stuff did. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in March 2006. Uh, They did a world tour in 2008 to celebrate the 30th anniversary of Parallel Lines, which I wasn't really alive when Parallel Lines came out, but just the fact that 30 years has passed since the 80s weirds me out a little bit. That's weird, yeah. December 2009, they released a recording of We Three Kings for Christmas. This song is not on Spotify, and I'm mad about it. It is on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Go check it out, because it sounds exactly like what you expect. It's it's the Blondie version of We Three Kings. Like, yeah. It, it's a bop. This microphone is covered in dog hair. All of them are. Um, One other thing to note about Debbie is she... I mean, she's very private you can't really find a lot about her but she's a huge philanthropist um she was inspired by the work of elton john and his hiv and aids work um but her her charities are devoted to fighting cancer saving the environment and helping women who suffer with endometriosis she's given like millions and millions and millions of dollars um and then we kind of get to the last two bullets she wrote a memoir called face it in october 2019 there are it covers her whole life and career but one thing i need to point out is she claimed that during the early 1970s when she was living in new york city she was lured into a car by serial killer ted bundy holy shit no one can prove this um so she was lured into the car yeah did she go in the car she said that the description of the white vehicle which was stripped on the in stripped on the inside and missing the passenger door handle matched the 1968 volkswagen that bundy was driving however no one can really prove this because at the time ted bundy was supposed to be in florida 
I highly doubt I've done a lot of research on Ted Bundy. I highly doubt he just drove up to New York City for the weekend. Yeah. He was supposed to be laying low. Like he was living in like a tiny apartment trying under a fake name. Like he was not about to drive to New York City. Right. Um, Anne Rule, who wrote The Stranger Beside Me, fantastic read if you like true crime. She said that uh, once like all the stuff came out about Bundy and where he was, a lot of women came forward. They think that they saw Bundy's car. Right. But it was just kind of like a, oh, I saw that because I saw it on the news thing. Right. So we can't prove. Kind of a Mandela effect. Kind yeah. Of we can't prove that Debbie Harry got in Ted Bundy's car, but we also can't disprove it. So. We leave it up for I, you to decide. But he wasn't, he didn't spend any time in New York that I'm aware of. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe he needed a weekend getaway from being you know running from the law yeah um and then nowadays she and chris are not together obviously but he is married and he has two daughters and he made debbie their godmother oh that's so sweet which i think is sweet because i mean they didn't end on a great note because they broke up but obviously their relationship their bandmates meant a lot to him to make her the godmother of his children and that's blondie it's not it's not as long as some other episodes, but it's worth noting. That's right. They had some influence on, I'd say mostly their influence is seen in like the grunge of right. the 90s in the blonde, not the blondie, that's the band we're talking about, in like No Doubt and Gwen Stefani. Yeah. Well, and also that one blondie image. I think it might be the Andy Warhol one that you always see on t-shirts yep. and yeah. Yep. That's really all I knew about blondie until up to this point. All I knew was Heart of Glass. And that too. Which is seeing a resurgence because Miley Cyrus covered it recently. And it's a great cover. It is a great cover. If you've not listened to Miley's cover. Also worth noting her cover of the Cranberry Zombie. Yes. Is so good. I have a lot of respect for Miley Cyrus as an artist. She's so good. She had a little time where she had to figure herself out, but she was like 22, 23. We, We can forget Wrecking Ball ever happened. That whole era. Well, it's interesting, like, wrecking ball and bangers happened and she's figuring herself out yeah but the stuff before it was all disney stuff and i love disney but i loved her disney work disney is fine but now she's finding her true form yeah and i like this true form of miley i wish she would go in a more rock direction she's looks like she's heading there though her last album and work was more of like a i don't know what to call it like synth pop yeah it's I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. Didn't love it. But these covers that she's doing are just awesome. Yeah, that's actually how I got here was we watched that. We watched the zombies cover. when We were here last weekend. Mm-hmm. And then we watched the heart of glass cover. I was like, huh, I was going to do a different band, which I might do next month. It was another British boy band. You got to break out of the genre yeah. sometimes. So yeah. that's how we got to Blondie. And now I'm really thirsty because I feel like I just talked a lot. Well, you we ate a bean burrito and then went straight into a podcast. <laughs> so this tends to happen. Uh, let me find. I'm also not drinking anything because we really haven't changed since the last episode. We literally, in the span of what? You've been here for four hours? Three, three or four hours? Three. Uh, we've eaten a piece of cake. Ice cream cake. Ice cream cake. And then we ate a bean burrito each. 
the wrong bean burritos because our bean burritos got them. mixed up and i should have listened to you when you said that one wasn't yours yep but i didn't <laughs> um and then you had a mountain dew i had a couple sips of water and here we are we will see y'all back here next month probably not for christmas themed episodes this year no i think we exhausted the well of all two possible topics last year no but there we, will be great episodes we'd probably be a away. little bit more recharged too because we decided to record on one of the most stressful nights that america has experienced in four years also it gets dark at five o'clock now yeah i can't be peppy when it's dark the, yeah this is technically 9 30 my yeah. body thinks it's 9 30 right now yeah i'm real tired yeah i'm feeling it anyway thank you for business <laughs> <laughs> thanks for doing business with us <laughs> thank you good night bye uh no uh thank you for listening you can subscribe where do you get your podcast you get them at apple you get them at Spotify. You get them at Google Play and Stitcher. You can leave us a review. Please. 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 I promise to edit it with really fun music underneath it. Special thanks to Death of Fawn, a.k.a. my brother, uh, for our intro riff. That's right. I fired my husband and hired my brother as a musician. Nepotism. <laughs> you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at She Will Rock You Podcast. We also have a really awesome facebook group it's linked in our instagram page hang out with us we post stuff we interact with people we love it they love it there's a lot You're of gonna memes love it too. a lot of memes a lot of conversation you can follow us individually at beth ann tarpley or at leah elizabeth.j you also can shoot us an email at sheilrockypodcast at gmail.com. Other than that, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs.